Uh, well, good morning, and thank you, Pastor Zach and praise team and congregation for worshiping this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Um, like was said uh, at the beginning, my name is Ryan. I'm the Emerging Generation Specialist with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Um, so I work with young adults. Uh, I help the somewhere around 3,200 Tennessee Baptist churches when it comes to young adult ministry, and we classify that 18 to 40 years old. And so I've been in this role for two years. Uh, before coming on staff with the mission board, uh, I was on staff at First Baptist Church of Lexington, Tennessee, over in West Tennessee, where me and my wife still live. And uh, so I was on staff there from 2010 to 2021 as the youth pastor and then the associate pastor and any other side job they wanted to give me. You know how it works, you know, in church life, right? And so, um, and me and my wife still live there. We still attend First Baptist Lexington, and I am still over the college and young adult ministry there as a volunteer. So we still have our hands on in uh, local church life and ministry every week. Um, but it's been awesome to be able to serve you, Tennessee Baptist Churches, for the last two years. Um, I just want to thank you on behalf of Randy Davis and our mission board just for your cooperation and your giving and your gifts. Uh, because without churches like you, uh, the ministry that we do couldn't happen. Uh, congregations all over our state from uh, Memphis to Mountain City and Dyersburg to Ducktown partnering together so that Tennesseans can hear the gospel. It's such a beautiful picture, I think, of the kingdom and of what God intended the church to be. So I'm a I'm excited and I'm honored to be a part of you and out of you uh, as we serve you at the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Uh, being a youth pastor as kind of my um, foundation and my beginning, uh, you know, it's every week talking about with students the things that they're allowing to fill them up and fill in their lives, right? There's so many temptations, there's so many distractions that are in the world but being in adult ministry for a little while as well, uh, that doesn't change as we get older, right? Um, the, what we're going to kind of dive into today, the defining moments of our lives, we let a lot of things define us. We let a lot of good things define us. If I were to introduce myself to you and you were to tell me who you are, there are things that you would tell me about yourself that you view as important that you think I should know that kind of tell me who you are. Maybe it would be your family Maybe it'd be the job that you do or whatever title you want to put in your life. And you have, a, you have those things. Maybe it's things of the past that you acknowledge define you. But maybe there's moments and events and things that have happened that have molded and shaped you. And you didn't, don't even realize the, the gravity and the impact that the past events had in your life. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm a husband. My wife, Rebecca, she, um, me and her have been married now for eight years, and, uh, you know, she's a nurse, and as of September 11th of this year, we have a little girl, and so uh, I'm now a, a dad, and so I'm running off of caffeine and Jesus right now, so if I just go blank, just forgive me in that as we're trying to figure out this new season of life, and a lot of different things, you know, that when I look at the the years that I've lived of, of moments that have been very good and people who have been very good and who have poured into me and who have helped shape me to be the man that I am. But I've also went through a lot of difficult seasons too, like I'm sure a lot of you, a lot of you have. And there have been moments that I've trusted really 
uh, well on Jesus and I've leaned on him. But if I'm honest, there's been a lot of seasons where I was really unfaithful to run to him as quick as I needed to. And I tried to fix problems and I tried to fix situations myself. And every time I normally got myself into deeper problems than I would have if I'd have just went to him. And this idea of these defining moments of our life, they're not anything new. Paul knew that the church or the churches in Ephesus were going through this same thing. If you were to ask them, what are the things that define you as a church? They would probably have a lot of things in the Ephesus culture that defined them. They um, were a Roman province in what is now modern Turkey. They had trade that happened. They were sophisticated. They were intellectual. They had very pagan worship that went on among them. So as you have this new body of believers trying to meet in Ephesus, they have this temple to the goddess Diana where people would travel to come and worship these pagan and false practices. And so all around them, they had all of these worldly influences that were trying to influence and say, this is who you should be, or this is what you could be if you just followed the things of the world. If you just let the world define you in these ways, look at all of these different things that you could or should be. And you and I have those same pressures today. We have a world that every single moment tries to put a label or a definition on who they think we should be or could be. And anytime we try to stand up for Jesus or the things of God, it's met with resistance or it's met with reasons of why we're wrong or why we shouldn't trust in the Bible or why we shouldn't define ourselves in these ways. And I feel like Paul has a great reminder to not only the churches thousands of years ago, but for us today in Shelbyville, Tennessee on October 1st, very good practical reminders of how we not only could but should define these moments in our lives of who we are through Jesus. So if you would stand in the honor of reading in God's word, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses. God's word says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even we, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is, the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can be seated.
This morning, we're going to see four quick things, four quick things when it comes to the defining moments of our life. The first thing we can see from the scripture is moments of darkness, moments of darkness. We all have experienced these moments of darkness. Paul reminds us in these first few verses that before Jesus, we all had moments or we had a life outside of God. Now, some of us, if we were raised in church and we were saved at a young age, those moments where we sought the things of the world without a knowledge of Jesus might be very small. But there may be others of us in the room who you were saved later in life. And so you have a very clear picture of what this darkness in your life looked like, right? You lived maybe a majority of your life, or at least into your teenage or adult years, outside of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So you know what it's like to have the temptations of the world trying to define you or speak into you or give you things that it cannot give you like peace, hope, love, happiness, joy. All of these things that the world says, I can provide these things for you if you just do this. And it's like a finish line that you can never reach because you think if I can just get to that moment, then I'll feel that fulfillment, or I'll feel that happiness, or I'll feel that wholeness. And then you get to that point, and then the finish line moves a little bit farther. And the sin takes you a little bit deeper. You know, sin takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it it makes you pay more than you want to pay every single time. But the darkness, it tries to cover up that. And it tries to it tries to mislead us into thinking that it's the light or, or it's the way. And so you probably have had these moments of darkness in your life. And if we're not careful, we can let these moments of darkness outside of Jesus define us or at the very least distract us from the calling that God has put on us. Because even those of us who have Jesus in our life, we still have those thoughts and those memories of the days past, right? So the darkness, the moments of darkness, we all experience it, and we live in a world that that's all they know. It's very easy for me, who's known Jesus most of my life, to look at the lost world around me and see and, see and say, man, the answer is right here. Like, why don't you just put your faith and hope in Jesus? Like, the answer is here because we get it, Right? Our minds, our eyes have been open to the truth. You've probably seen this even in family and friends that they make poor, poor choices, they make poor decisions, whatever it may be. And you're like, they, they come to you and they're, they're wondering, why am I suffering the consequences of life that I am? And you're like, I don't see how you don't see why you're suffering the consequences and the choices. Like the past and the decisions you've made, there's no other direction in which you could go. So why are you surprised? And yet that's the world that we live in. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul explains this to the church at Corinth when he says, uh, since we have received this ministry because we were shown mercy, we don't lose heart. We've been, we renounce shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's truth, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the light that is Jesus. And then he goes on to say, if our gospel is veiled, It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the hearts of the unbelievers so they cannot see the truth. And we have a world 
that the prince of the power of the air, Satan, I love how the Holman Christian Bible explains it because it says the ruler who exercises authority, he acts like he has authority here, but we know he doesn't have any authority. He's this prince. He's this exerciser who tries to say, I have all of this influence. He had the audacity to even tell Jesus, I could give you the world, the very thing that he created. And if Satan has the audacity to tempt Jesus in that way, don't believe for a second he won't try to tempt you in the same way. He will try to tell you he can give you things he doesn't have the authority to give you. He will try to tell you that he can be a person over your life, that he has no authority to be over your life. And if we don't allow Jesus to speak into our hearts, to open our eyes, to see the light of the gospel, of the glory, that is not Ryan, that is not First Baptist Church, but that is Jesus. If we don't point people to Jesus and his hope and his salvation and his definition of our life, then we can't expect us or them to live in anything else but these moments of darkness. So we see moments of darkness. But we not only see moments of darkness, we see moments of desires. Moments of desires. You know, I wish that once we came to know Jesus and our eyes were open to the light of his gospel, that our fleshly desires just went away. But that doesn't happen, right? The Christian walk is a very difficult one because we have this war literally happening for our souls. We have eternity that is, we have heaven and hell that are both trying to pull at us. Paul explains this when he says, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And he says, what a wretched man that I am. And I can relate to that. I can relate to those, those passions or those desires inside of me that I know are fleshly and they are, they are dead and they have no weight. They have no bearing over my life anymore. But for so, some reasons, I want to put those old chains back on. Maybe, because it's, I, maybe it's because I let those things define me for so long. So I don't know who Ryan would be if I walked away from that habit or that sin or that definition of who I was. I don't know what life would be if I took that step into the unknown and truly gave God 100% of my life. Yeah, I want to give him the good days or I want to give him the really bad days, but what about just the, the regular Ryan, the, the small, just minute details of my life? You know, when we look at the defining moments of our life, a lot of times we look at the big moments, right? What we decided to do for our career, who we decided to marry, whatever it may be. But honestly, our life is made up of the small, everyday decisions that we make. That we wouldn't probably think twice to make that one decision, but it changes the course of our life and we don't even know it. I just think about even the, the craziness in which I was... Um, I say stumbled into my position at First Baptist Lexington. Uh, I don't think it was an accident by God in any means, but for me, Ryan, it was uh, an inattention to detail that led me to get the job I got at First Baptist Lexington, which sounds crazy. So I was a ministry student at Union, and uh, we got emails every single week about ministry opportunities. I mean, hundreds of opportunities we would get emails about every week. And we were about a month into school, and it was my first semester, and I really hadn't gotten connected to a church in Jackson yet. And I read in this email 
about First Baptist Church Lexington. I didn't even know there was a Lexington in Tennessee. But First Baptist Church Lexington was having, I read it as a fall retreat and they needed college leaders to help lead Bible study. And they were like, if you want to be a part of this, this weekend, meet at this building on this night at this time. So I show up and I quickly found out that they did not need um, leaders for Bible study because people started saying, yeah, I play the guitar, I play the drums. What they needed was a band, which is really humorous because I am the least musically inclined person that there is. And so I was like, I am in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong meeting. Like, I'm sorry, I wasted your time. I showed up at this thing that like, you need a band. I, I can't help you with that. Um, but you know, if you want any help, I can run slides or whatever it may be. I can just be the errand boy that goes to Walmart. Like whatever you want, I can be that person for you. The youth pastor was like, yeah, thanks, whatever. And I thought I'll never hear from that guy again. And a couple of weeks later, he reached out and was like, we actually have an internship that's open if you'd be interested in applying for the internship. And I was like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, first semester in college, I'm already here on a whim and a prayer. Like if I don't do well academically and I lose any scholarships, like I'm, I'm not gonna be able to be here. And then God just worked inside of me. And that internship led me to meet, uh, to, to get a full-time job, which led me to be there now for 13 years in Lexington. I met my wife through it and it's just crazy me opening an email, sitting in a dorm room 13 years ago, led me on the trajectory of my life that it is now. And, and of course, I don't want that. There's a lot of decisions that happen between those ways, but small moments, we don't know. You don't know what saying yes to God and one thing that he's asking you to do, how that could change the trajectory of your life. You don't know what saying no to God, how that could change the trajectory to your life on thinking that you have all of these plans figured out, or you think that you've reached the peak capacity of how God wants to bless your life. You know, I believe that we not only serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but he owns the hills the cattle stands on. And he can do more in your life in one moment than you can do by yourself in an entire lifetime. And when he shows up, he always shows out. And we have these desires though, that seek after these earthly, temporary things. I mean, look how it defines it, these desires. It says um, that we were under wrath, and we all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. You know, the world wants to tell us, or the world wants to try to define Christianity as this rigid set of rules and regulations, and you can't have any fun, and you can't do all of these things when you follow God. And then when you read verses like that, you realize that living in Christ is true freedom. We actually have the opportunity to not be slaves to those thoughts and those desires anymore. That freedom is not the ability to choose whatever we want to choose. <laughs> because you probably know, just like I know, I make a terrible God in my life. And anytime I try to play God in my life, I mess it up every single time. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I don't plan well enough to pour out the details of my life. But thankfully, I don't have to. <laughs> I serve a God who created me, 
who spoke life into me, who knit me together in my mother's womb, and who has a plan and a purpose for my life. If I trust him, he will guide me in that. And he will guide you in that. And your desires or these things of the world that try to tell you if you just follow this game plan, if you follow this American dream, if you just get a family or you get a house or you get a bunch of land or you get a good career or you get enough money in your bank account or whatever you think will give you earthly security, the Bible reminds us that we shouldn't set up our treasures where moth and dust can destroy. Because I know you've been studying about Job. In a moment, that could all be taken away. Your health, a loved one, your earthly riches, but nothing can snatch us out from the hand of God. Nothing can take us out of our Creator's grasp or His vision or His care. And so you may have went through moments of darkness, and you may have went through moments of desires, but I hope that we know this morning that you don't have to continue to let those things define you anymore. So moments of darkness, moments of desire, but we also have moments of display, Moments of display. If you continue to look down in verses 4 through 7, it talks about, but God. I don't think there are maybe two words in the Bible that are more beautiful than but God. You are on this path, but God, and then boom. I mean, I think that should define or does define all of our lives, right? If not for God, so would I. I can look at the world and try to judge them or Think about how crazy they are, but if not for God, if it wasn't but God in my life, that would be me. That would be my story. That would be my hope. That would be my testimony. But God stepped in my life, and thankfully, I'm not on that path anymore. And it says, he is rich in mercy. Do we not serve a God who is rich in mercy? Who gives us far more than we deserve, with not only not giving us what we do deserve, but giving us things we don't deserve. And it says down here in verse 7, he does these things so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I try to think too many times that my testimony or my faithfulness to God is dependent on what I can do to, to him or for him and I think my life is going to be defined about my faithfulness. And this verse reminds me that what is on display should not be Ryan, but of the riches of the grace of what he's doing through my life. It's kind of like is described in John chapter 3 when Jesus meets with Nicodemus. We see that Nicodemus is this religious teacher, but he doesn't understand who Jesus is. When Jesus tells him he must be born again, he thinks physically and Thank God for all of us, he meant spiritually. And so we walk, he walks through all of this, and then he gives an example, or he gives a story that Nicodemus would be very familiar with, and it's out of the book of Numbers, where the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they were disobeying God, and they weren't following Moses. And because of that, God sent poisonous snakes among the camp and started biting all of the people. And there was people getting sick and dying. It's a really crazy story. But it's in the book of Numbers, and it tells you about it again in John chapter 3. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that just as God commanded Moses to create this bronze serpent, and when he lifted that bronze serpent high and people looked upon it, they would be healed from this poisonous disease. He said, just like the Israelites, when they looked at that bronze serpent and they were healed from their disease, 
so the man, so the son of man should be lifted up so that you and I know we can be saved from this disease or this poison that is sin and death. And so you and I, when it's talking about this lifting up, I think it's that same language as John chapter three and numbers of, we're not supposed to live up, lift up ourselves and show, look what I have done or look at what I can do, but look at what Jesus can do in your life because he's done it in mine. If Jesus can do something like this in a wretched sinner like me, just believe, just look at what, or try to dream what he could do in your life. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where it talks about boasting in our weakness. And he says, my power is perfected in weakness. So that shows us that God's power isn't shown in how clever Ryan can be or how smart Ryan can be or how hardworking Ryan can be, though I should try to do and be all of those things. But really God's power is best shown through me when I'm in my weakness and I rely on him. That's when his gospel shines through. And we see that beautiful picture in Romans 5, 6 through 8, where it says, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though a good person someone might even dare to die. Here's that but God again. But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may have had moments of darkness. You may have had moments of desires, but you will also have moments of display. It may be through successes, where because of earthly success, you're put in a situation or you have a platform that people are looking to you to see how you respond to success. And you're gonna have an opportunity to either lift high the name of Jesus or to lift high your name. Or you're gonna have moments of severe difficulty. Where like Job, you may even have your wife tell you to curse God and die. And you'll have the opportunity to do that. And so you will either trust God in the middle of the uncertainty, where you don't know why the things that are happening are happening. When you hear sayings like, God works all things out for the good of those who love him. And you look at that situation and you think, how could good ever come from this? And yet in those moments, God is still good. And in those moments, God is still there. And in those moments, God is still in control. And we have opportunities in those moments to display his goodness and his riches and his grace. What are we displaying this morning? What are we trying to, to lift high and to point people to? Moments of darkness, moments of desires, moments of display, the last thing we see is moments of decision. I believe that every time God's word is spoken or taught or read, a response is required. You and I aren't just called to hear and to soak in and to be done with it. We're called to then go and do something with this word of God that he's given to us. And we see this idea that we were his creation created for good works so that we should walk in them. You have works that God has created you to do. You have relationships with family members that God has called you to display his gospel to them in their life, that your pastor or the staff could share the gospel to, but they would not connect with the message as well as if you shared it with them because of that relationship that you have. People at work, 
people who you are friends with, your neighbors, those in your schools. God has given you a platform and a leverage of influence. And we have to decide what we do with those things. And a lot of it goes back to how we define ourselves. Are we letting other people define ourselves or are we letting God define ourselves? Are we letting other people tell us what our plan and our purpose and our life and our actions should be? Or are we letting God tell us what those things should be? You know, there's some of you in here this morning, and if you're going to be honest, you would say, Ryan, um, this all sounds great, but I still feel like I'm in that first two points. I feel like I'm so deep in the desires. I feel like I'm so deep in the darkness. I've never truly accepted delight. If I'm honest, uh, I've put my faith and hope in man, or I've put my faith and hope in everything but a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe even at some point you've walked an aisle, you've talked to a pastor, you maybe even got dunked in water, but you never surrendered your heart and your will to the Creator. And this morning, you have the opportunity, whether online or in this room, to decide, maybe for the first time, I'm going to stop letting the things of this world define me. And for the first time, I'm going to let Jesus define me of who I am. So how do you do that? Because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we see that the wages or the salary, the paycheck that we receive because of our sin is death. There's nothing you or I could do to make ourselves right with God. The whole Old Testament shows us time and time again of testimony of men and women who try to make themselves right in the eyes of God under their own works, and they fall short every single time. But we see the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In John chapter 4, we see, or John chapter 14, we see Thomas, who gets a bad rap about a lot of things, but Thomas was willing to ask the question when Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, and where I go, you should come also. And he said, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. And out of that one question, we get, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we see in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he was raised from the dead, it says you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It doesn't say you could be saved. The Bible, God's holy word emphatically says, if you do those things, you will be saved. So this morning, you may have put your faith and hope in a lot of things. I'm not asking you to put your faith and hope in me or this church or anybody else, but put your faith and hope in Jesus. Because he, as we sung, will never let you down. He can be that firm foundation in your life who starts speaking truth and love into you in a way you've never experienced it before. My prayer this morning is for some of you, those scales of darkness fall off your eyes and you can start to see a small picture of the light that is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he is so much sweeter, he is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. So this morning, here in just a few minutes, the worship pastor and the praise team are going to come back up. One of your pastors are going to be standing down front. I would just encourage you, when I get done praying here in just a minute, to come down and to talk to one of them. They're not going to do anything to embarrass you. We're not going to make you stand on the stage and sing a solo or anything like that. We just want to be able to talk to you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. 
So if that's you here in just a few minutes, when I get done praying, come forward and talk to somebody. Maybe you've been sitting in this room and you're like, Ryan, you know what? I've never really truly been baptized. Maybe at one point in my life, I did get dunked in water, but then my salvation came later and my baptism needs to get on the right side of my salvation. Or maybe you've been coming to church, but you not actually joined the church. And so it's time for you to stop dating the church and to join, to join this body of believers, to reach this community with the gospel. Or maybe you just say, Ryan, you know what? I need to use this stage as an altar. I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I know that my salvation and all of that is on the right side, but I just have a burden or a person that I want to lay at his feet. And so you can come forward this morning and just in a real physical way, bow before your creator and say, God, I'm tired of letting these things define me any longer. And thank you for being the one who defines my life. Be with these people who I need to share the gospel with. I pray God would put somebody on your mind who you need to share this message of truth with. Maybe even before you leave. Maybe it's a text message you send before you get to the parking lot or a phone call once you get in the car. I'm going to even pray is selfish enough that you won't be able to get a good night's sleep until you have a conversation with that person because eternity is too long and this life is too short for us to keep playing games with the gospel. We are not promised tomorrow. We're not promised our our next breath. And so you may have been gambling with the most important thing, and that is your eternal destiny. Thinking you'll always have another chance, thinking you'll always have another opportunity, thinking you always have another moment. Don't gamble with something you don't have control over. If you aren't sure, nail that down today. What are you letting define your life? And will you start letting Jesus be that one? God, we thank you. We thank you that you are our firm foundation. We thank you that in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our evil, wicked desires, we can say, but God... When Satan tries to say, Ryan, all of these things have happened in your life, I can say, yeah, but, but God. When I make all of these mistakes, I can say, but, but God. It's not because of Ryan. It's not because of anything I can do, but it's because of everything you can do. So God, I pray that just as dew comes from heaven and saturates the earth, God, your word will fall among us this morning and it will set out to do exactly what you want it to accomplish. God, convict us to move in decision this morning. And God, I pray that we will walk out of these doors and enter into the mission field that is our community with a new passion and a new new, uh, vision. And God, I pray that even a simple service on a Sunday morning in October could be a defining moment of our life that changes the way we see this calling that you have for us. And we do all of this and we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.